Sow some seed. You fired up about that? If you're a guest here today, you get to, uh, you get to see something really special. We get to do this one time a year. Well, if you're a guest here, if this is your first time here, if, if you've only come, you know, in the last few months, you get to look behind the curtain and see what we do, how generous we are as a church with nothing expected in return. And uh, we're, we're, we're shutting down, we're closing out the very last chapter of our series called Be Rich. And it's not uh, how to get rich, it's how to be rich. And that's what we've been talking about for six weeks. I want to encourage you to go to our website and, and you know, hear the message again for our members because sometimes you've got you to go over this stuff again. Uh, as I said, you know, we, we need a, a review. And, and the reason why we've been talking about this series is because Americans aren't very good at being rich. We've got issues. Uh, some of those issues we talked about last week, rich people don't like being told no. And the reason is because we have appetites and we don't like to say no to our appetites. And, and also, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago, the, there's, a, there's a migration of hope that happens to rich people. Instead of a trusting in God, they start to trust in their riches. And we learned a phrase called, uh, I will, I'm, I'm going to trust in him who richly provides, not in riches. And, and that was awesome. Still carry that around in my wallet. And, and today we're going to talk about a little bit of history of Christianity. We're going to open the, the, the history books to find out about our brothers and sisters and what they were known for. And the title of the lesson today is called The Power of a Single Seed. And uh, when we take up a collection today and when we give a collection every Sunday or when you, you do whatever you do for God, you volunteer your time and you serve other people, that's a seed that you plant. And God does something amazing with that seed. And today we're going to you know, put some, some money, significant money, in this treasure chest. And we're going to do it to help Mexico and Central America. But I want us to take a trip back in history so we can see what our brothers and sisters in the first century were all about. And it all came from this teaching that we've been looking at the last few weeks that Paul passed on to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, I got this from Jesus. And this is some of Jesus' teaching. So I want to make sure you pass it on to the rich people. Because rich people need to know how Jesus expects them to manage their wealth. And just so you know, in case you're wondering, well, you think, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not wealthy. Uh, no, you are wealthy. You live in the most wealthy, if not one of the wealthiest nations in the world, in one of the wealthiest times of human history. There's never been a time like this that we live. We are so blessed. But the question is, do we know how to manage what we have, this incredible blessing that we have? And the reason we're doing this series is because I think we need some help. But Paul said this to Timothy. He said, listen, when you talk to rich people, command them to do good, to be rich. And that's where we got the name of our series. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So what's a challenge for Americans as they increase in their wealth? Generosity. Sharing. Do you know that Americans, when they get more money... And this is statistically proven. When they get more money, they give less, percentage-wise. And, and maybe God's going to bless you this year. And I hope that you can listen into what God is trying to communicate to us through the Apostle Paul, is that if God does bless you, that you'll know how to, how to manage that wealth. And that you'll continue to be as, as generous as you were when you didn't have money. 
And so this whole idea of generosity, do you know what our brothers and sisters in the first, second, and third century were known for? And, and here's something. The hallmark of Christians in the first century was not their wealth. In fact, they were some of the poorest people because they got, they, got, they got penalized for being followers of Jesus. See, because they didn't, they didn't worship the local gods. They didn't worship the local ideology. They said, no, 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 we're not following that. We're following Jesus and said, okay, if you follow Jesus, then we're going to take away your license to do business in this city. And oftentimes they would come and arrest them and they would take away all their stuff. So they weren't wealthy. Christians weren't wealthy. In fact, they had none. And it wasn't their theology either. In fact, the, the, the truth of the matter in the first century, the theology of Christianity was a little weird. I mean, let's stop and think about it. We're following a poor guy from, from Galilee, and he was a carpenter. And he wasn't impressive. And he died on a cross. He was hung as a criminal on a cross. And some say he rose from the dead. So it wasn't like this incredible theology. In fact, the hallmark of Christians in the first, second, and third century was generosity and compassion. You know, they didn't have this incredible organization. They didn't even have buildings. They, they met in homes. It wasn't an impressive group, but what really conquered the hearts and what overthrew the Roman Empire, in fact, Christianity became the state religion because of this. Not because they were so impressive with their wealth and their theology. In fact, one of the Roman emperors, the last non-Christian Roman emperor, had this to say about his competition because his name was, was Julius. And he was like the rest of the, the Roman emperors. They would go and have their parades. And in order to gain the favor of the people, they would take coins that they printed with their picture on the coin. And they would have this word on the coin, liberalitas. And liberalitas was a mentality that basically everybody in the first century had. And that was generosity, but with fine, fine print on the bottom. And so these Roman emperors, when they came to power, they would have their coins printed with their name on it, with libraritas printed on it. It says it right here on this side of the coin. And they would throw the coins out to the people, and the people would chant. They would yell. They would get excited. And the word that they would chant was libraritas, libraritas. And they would say that because they were saying the way that they practiced generosity and the idea for the Roman emperor doing that is I'm giving you money, but my expectation is that you'll pay me back. I got your back if you'll get my back. In fact, the idea for Liberaritas was this. Find someone who can do something for you and then you do something for them. So if you knew that there's somebody out there that can do something for you, what should you do? Be generous to them. You walk up out of nowhere and you give them a 20 spot and you say, here, I'm being, I'm being generous. But everybody knew what the expectation was. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. So let me start by scratching your back. 
So that was the ideology of the time, liberalitas. So the people, when they got the money, they knew what it meant. Okay, we're, thank you for this money, but we're going to support you. So with this mindset, imagine who got left out of the circle of generosity. Poor people, widows, and orphans. See, they got left out of that whole circle of generosity, generosity. See, because a widow, she can't give you anything back. She's poor. She has no, no source of income. So they would not help the widows or the orphans because they have nothing. And poor people fell out of the circle as well. So this gap was created. And that's why you hear in Christianity, what is one of the teachings of Christianity? Take care of widows and orphans. Why? Because in the first century, in the Roman Empire, in all the areas that they occupied, those were the most neglected people because they didn't fit into this ideology of liberalitas. And oftentimes you and I can practice the same ideology. So Emperor Julian, he's the last non-Christian emperor to come to power, and he decides, you know, Christianity was gaining a lot of ground in Rome and throughout the empire. And so he decides, you know what, I'm going to make one last ditch effort to bring back paganism as our state religion. Meaning the worship of an emperor and the worship of idols. And he failed. And he was the last non-Christian emperor. And after him was Christianity was adopted as the state religion and all the emperors from that point on were Christian believers as emperors. But listen to the words that he said, his struggle and power as he was trying to reinstitute paganism. Look at, look at what he says here. He says, recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character. Even if pretended, and by their benevolence towards strangers. See, this is his struggle. He's like, man, I, I can't beat these guys. I, I can't see. They're so moral. You know, they won't do anything corrupt. You can't buy them out. I can't get to these Christians. They, they do all the things right. It's hard to compete with them. Nobody loves their families like they do. Nobody loves the poor, and nobody loves their children. There's something strange about them. It's almost like it's annoying because they're so good. Look what else he said. He says, this, the impious Galileans, they were called Galileans because that's where the they thought the movement started was out of Galilee. These impious Galileans observe this and devote themselves to what? Benevolence. And that was his problem. And he, he finishes up, he says, the impious Galileans support not only their poor, the Christian poor, but ours as well. They support pagan poor people. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. He said, it's out there. There's no denying it. These Christians are better than us at helping the needy and the poor. You know why Christianity overthrew the Roman Empire? It wasn't because they were organized and had everything together. It's because they had the tremendous compassion and tremendous generosity. In fact, many historians 
recognize the reason why Christianity just exploded in the Roman Empire and its, and its, and its popularity and its followership is because during the second and third century, did you bring it back, uh, Ronnie? Don't know what happened. There we go. Sorry. But one of the things that happened during the second, third, fourth century was there were famines and plagues. You remember the famous Roman emperor, um, emperor in the movie Gladiator, right? Remember his name? Marcus Aurelius? He didn't get killed by his son. That's all Hollywood. Marcus Aurelius died the plague in his own city. See, plagues would, they would take over Rome and they would take over the, the large cities. And the priests of paganism, they would, they would run away. They would, they would run and leave Rome. But guess who stayed and took care of the sick and the poor? Christians having some issues here. But that was what's so powerful. Everybody else would run, but the Christians would stay. And they would put their own lives at risk. And so this is one of the things that they believe, that historians believe. That's why Christians, maybe well, we can do this manually. Ronnie, if you can, I'm going to have you switch me. Just push play and then switch. The next, next slide. And the teaching about generosity and the teaching about compassion came directly from Jesus. Look at what Jesus said here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 33, he says, And if you do good to those who are good to you. What credit is there that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? So here's Jesus. He's weighing in on the liberalitas mentality. You give and you lend and you do things, but you have something in return. Jesus says, we're changing the rules here. We're changing what is generosity. I'm redefining generosity. And basically, Jesus is saying, I'm changing generosity that you give to people without expecting anything in return. Next slide. Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them with what? Without expecting to get anything back. That's crazy. Who would lend money and not expect anything to come back? Isn't that kind of stupid? Isn't that crazy? It's this teaching that overthrew the Roman Empire. As was it was inexplicable. It was irrational. Why would you do that? Because you have an understanding greater than other people. Next slide. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as who is merciful? Your father. So Jesus is acting us not to practice liberalitas. He's acting, asking us to practice what God practices. Do you deserve mercy? Do you deserve forgiveness? When Jesus died for us, did it, did, was there this expectation that I'm I know you're going to become a follower of mine. Just the opposite. In fact, the reason it was so incredible, the love and the, the mercy of Jesus, is because he didn't expect people to turn. He just did it freely. 
And the truth of the matter is, as you and I know, many people will not follow, follow Jesus. Even though Jesus has done everything to help them so they can get right with him. And so what Jesus is asking us is to be generous like God is generous. Now, haven't you noticed that? People who deserve it the least get blessed the most sometimes. Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, sometimes we have issues with that. We, we, we see people and we go, why, God, why are you blessing him and not me? I'm your son. I, I follow you. I obey your word. I do what's right. And you're blessing them? Now you know why. See, because God gives unconditionally. It's a, it's a really strong statement. I'm going to help you out even though you won't do a thing for me. I'm still going to do what's right. And some of you who are guests here today, you know God's been good to you. You haven't been very good to him, but you've been, he's been really good with you. And that's an amazing thing about God. And so he's inviting us to do the same as followers of Jesus. Next slide. So I'm going to introduce you, some of you guys who were here a few weeks ago, you got introduced as the First Investment Club. And I think this is so cool how Luke included this in the gospel. Who were the ones that supported Jesus' ministry? Was it, you know, these incredible entrepreneurs, millionaires? They said, oh, Jesus, we're going to support you on the down low because we've got to do something good with your money. Next slide. Guess who supported Jesus? After this, Jesus traveled from one town to another and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. So Jesus is doing his ministry. Next slide. And some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, one in particular, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. You think you got issues. She didn't have one, two, three, four. She had seven demons. I mean, one demon is enough. But if you got seven, could you imagine how crazy her life must have been? I mean, but he cured her. And that explains something amazing about Mary Magdalene because Mary was there in the beginning. Here you see her. She's one of the founding members of the investment club. She was with Jesus at the foot of the cross. And who was there on Easter morning ready to re-embalm Jesus' body? Mary Magdalene. Next slide. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Think about it. Now, why, you know, you think about it, why wasn't this ministry supported by rich people? And you think, man, if a church is going to take off, if a, if a church is going to do something amazing, you know, they've got to have their wealthy group of people that are going to support that ministry, right? The exact opposite. And I'm so glad that Luke put this in because it really defines Jesus' ministry was supported by women. And you've got to remember, women were worse off than women are today because you can get some high-powered women today. You know, some... Some of these, you know, sugar mamas, they're bringing in more than their husbands. 
right? They're rolling. And the husband's like, yeah, she's, she's, she's the one. No, no, no. We're talking about a different time right here. Women were just a little bit above cattle and livestock and how they were treated and respected. I'm telling you the truth. That's how it was in the first century. Who was supporting Jesus? Women. Why? Because they had heart and they had gratitude. See, Jesus doesn't need the millionaires to support his ministry. What he needs is people who are grateful, people who have heart, people who are willing to share, who are generous. And too often we limit ourselves and say, well, I can't do much for the church because I'm not rich. You know, that's not the problem. The real problem comes with the heart. And that was what was so amazing about Christians in the first century. Next slide. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about some investments, right? Yeah, some of you guys have heard this before. Let me see if it'll work again. You know, and and thinking about the investments that that we can make, Coca-Cola, if you were one of the original shareholders of Coca-Cola in 1919, you purchased one share and held it for 2,000, held held those, those shares and it paid dividends of $40 in its original investment. It has split over these last 100 years, 4,608 times. You would have today, for the original $40 investment, for one share, you would have today $7 million. If you were able to get in on that. The original stock that was sold for $100 in 1892, If you'd have held on to that stock today, you would have $7.34 billion. Doesn't stop there. All right, let's talk about purchasing things versus investing in the company. A toaster in 1972, $15.95. So instead of buying the toaster, you invest at $15.95 in Walmart. And... That original 1595 today would be worth $30,403. So you think you could go without a toaster for 30 years for that kind of money? Ford Mustang, okay? 1982 Ford Mustang. Instead of buying the car that was at that time brand new, $6,572, you invested in Ford Motor Company. No Mustang, give me the shares of stock. Today you would have, for that $6,572, today you would have $399,000. The original Mac Classic. 1992, if you'd have purchased stock instead of the classic Mac, okay, which cost $1,500 today in shares of stock, it would be worth $127,368. So what's my point? To depress you about how you... <laughs> That's not the point. The, 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 point the, the point that I want to make is this. The most secure investment you can make is in the kingdom of God. Why? Because all these, these investments pay a percentage 
And it's not really guaranteed. Jesus tells us that it's guaranteed. It is the best eternal investment you can make. Why? As we're going to find out from a verse, Jesus says you'll receive a hundred times, whatever you do for me, you'll receive a hundred times in this life and in the one to come. See, nobody ever bet too much money on a winning horse, did they? I bet you those guys that bet money yesterday in the Kentucky Derby, of all the horses, California Chrome, not owned by a millionaire billionaire, he was just an average farmer guy. They wanted to buy him out for a couple hundred thousand dollars, and he said, nope, I'm staying with my white horse, and his horse won. I bet you a lot of people, they were wishing, man, I wish I had bet more money because nobody ever bet too much money on a winning horse. Let me tell you about the winning horse of all winning horses is a white horse that Jesus will be riding to rapture his church. That is the winning horse. And you have a chance to put your money, your investment of your heart and your time and your energy on that winning horse. See, it's the best investment because literally there are eternal dividends. Eternal dividends are out of this world, pun intended. So when you invest in Jesus, his church, helping the poor and the needy, helping our children, helping rebuild the the, the ministry, helping mission work in Mexico and Central America, it equals shares of stock, money, time, and heart. That's what you're going to do today. That's what you get an opportunity to do every day. I mean, and that's what's so exciting about this. And Jesus said this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, IPO stocks, Macintosh, Apple, you know, all those. Don't store up for those, those, those things, but rather because where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in, where the market can crash, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth and the vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. A hundred times. I've shared this with you before. What's the annual percentage rate on a hundred times? 10,000 APR. 10,000 percent. Where are you going to find that? And that's what's amazing about Jesus's promise. There's nothing even close. And Jesus said it this way too. He said in Luke chapter 8 verse 14. And he goes through and tells the parable of the sower. Highly recommend you read the parable of the sower. But you hear Jesus talking about his parables. You would think he wasn't a carpenter, but what? A farmer. Because he was always talking about seeds and fruit. Why do you think Jesus talks about seeds so much? He says, and the seed that fell on good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Huge harvest. Now let's go back to Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. What do you think their stock, that, ori- that, that original IPO stock, 
that they invested in is worth today. There's no price on it. We're talking millions of people's lives. We're talking hundreds of millions of families saved from the throes of divorce and destruction. You can't put a price tag on that initial investment. And I'm sure it wasn't all this money. It's what they had. And they gave it freely. But you think about Jesus, you think, man, he was a farmer because he talked about seeds. And if you ever, you know, kind of struggle with your faith, as sometimes maybe you do, you know, I don't know, I mean, God doesn't seem, and in our world today, they like to bash believing in God, and, you know, that's foolish, and I believe in, I believe in science. You know, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. I believe in, 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 in evolution. It's time for you to stop and think about something. Let's stop and think about nature. Jesus talked about seeds because seeds are the most amazing thing in the creation. I mean, it's just, it's blow away. A little seed and what it can produce. You guys recognize these? Redwoods. Sequoia redwoods. You stand in the shadow of a redwood sequoia tree and you stand in the shadow of God. Some of, these, some of these trees are thousands of years old, and you go, wow, and they're so huge. You feel like, a, you feel like a, a, you know, in, a, in a movie of tiny people, like an ant. You're in the land of giants. Do you realize that the sequoia, the largest living organism on the planet, comes from a little baby seed that fits on the tip of your finger? How do you explain that? Something so small can create something so huge. And something that can live for thousands of years. How do you explain that? How do you explain a sequoia tree producing in one year 400,000 seeds every year? And that little baby seed, see, when I was up there years ago, I looked at the tree, and I looked at the cone, and I looked at the tree, and I looked at the cone, I said, man, I gotta, I gotta hold on to one of these. Because I need a reminder. And it's been sitting in my, my, my office, and, and this is where I keep it. You know why I keep it? Because it's so amazing. The creation of God. How something so small can grow to be something so big and last so long. In fact, many historians, they can't figure out how Jesus' movement has continued to thrive for thousands of years. Do you know how, how, how unreal that is? How a movement can continue to thrive? And one of the reasons is because of the two foundational principles that Jesus taught, generosity and compassion. See, you can't beat that. And so what we think about when you think about giving, I want to remind you, this is a seed. What you give is going to be something that is going to produce fruit. Amazing, amazing fruit. So if you ever get one of those people and, the, you know, they got an explanation for everything, you just say, how do you explain the small seed of anything? I mean, look at a black, small black watermelon seed. 
Would you believe that that little black seed could produce a fruit that is red and juicy and you just rolls all down your chin your face it tastes so good and you go man i can't believe this seed produces something so big so juicy so good so refreshing how does that happen it's one of the most incredible things that god and jesus created for you and me and we should marvel at it and we should never question how awesome our god is another thing that has to do with trees is I want to encourage you to go onto YouTube and watch the ICOC Hot News so you can hear the news of what's happening around the world. Not just here, not just in Mexico and Central America, what's happening around the world. But you go on YouTube and you go to their website and you watch these videos because it's such incredible news about what Jesus' ministry is still doing today. And you and I get to support that ministry. And so on behalf of our 37 churches, close to 9,000 members in Mexico and Central America, I want to say thank you for what you're going to give. And thank you for what you've been giving the last 14 years, some of you. You've been incredibly generous. You've made incredible sacrifices. Some of you, this may be your first year that you're giving a special missions contribution, and you're kind of like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I got... Hey, you got the rest of the summer. I want to encourage you because you will not get another opportunity till next year to invest in the IPO of this year's kingdom stock. And these people are grateful, but I want to walk you through. This is a critical time because we're talking about the next generation of followers of Jesus. And see, that's what something we as a church need to be concerned about because some of us are getting old, right? You know, this past, this past week, you know, I, I, let my, I let my beard grow out a little bit, you know. And, like, right here, it's all gray. There's no black down here. It's all gray. And, and, and one of my friends commented, he said, man, you're getting old, dude. And I said, yeah, you too. Because he's grayer than I am. But I want to tell you this, guys, because it's so important. Our church is getting gray. And I recognize that. We need to be concerned about what are we going to leave for our children and our children's children. And we need to invest in the future. Because we want the ministry of Jesus to continue. We want our teens to have a great campus ministry. We want our, our preteens who were here just a little while ago to have a great teen ministry. We want our children to have a great children's ministry. Some of you young people who are singles, you want to raise your children in a church that has a great children's ministry. This is a critical time where we get to pass the baton. This is some of the singles in Mexico and their singles retreat. A thriving singles ministry in Mexico and you get to invest in that ministry. Families, this was a family retreat that they took. Un encuentro. Un amigo tesoro. That was what it was called this past year. And look at all these couples that went to a marriage retreat. We get to invest in that ministry. The teen ministry in Mexico. Because of us, they started a teen camp. And following our example. And they have a great teen camp. The campus ministry has been relifted up. A year ago, we, sp we started a, a, a project, a special project, to restart a campus ministry on the campus of UNAM in Mexico City, one of the largest college campuses of, in population in this 
hemisphere. 300,000 students on that campus. And so they started from just a handful of people. Now they have close to 40 college students in a little over a year. That's awesome. What an incredible investment we get to make. And not only that, they started a, a, a branch campus ministry in the Politecnico of Mexico City. They, they said, They're, we're going to start a, a mission because we have a mission. Now we want to start another mission. It's like the seed. You plant it and it grows and it spreads. So this is the new mission team in the Politecnico. And it was just started a few months ago. You think about the campus ministry. You're not just talking about young college students. You're talking about romance built on a righteous foundation. These are couples that are coming to know each other, to live and know what it means to honor one another. This couple's engaged to get married. These these guys are are, are dating, studying. This all happened in February, the, the month of love and But, you know, all this is made possible. All this is made possible by a thriving campus ministry where they're going to be able to lay a foundation on the bottom. And then this is an incredible thing is the number of people that are getting baptized. These are some photos of the the, the young people that were baptized in the last couple of months on the campus ministry. Can you put a price on that? It's amazing what God is doing. So... I want to encourage you today as you give your special missions to remember our brothers and sisters because these people that you see their pictures are you going to be able are they going to be able to come back to you and say hey thank you for giving you may not ever meet some of the people that you're you're affecting today but you get the the chance to do exactly what Jesus said is give to those without expecting anything in return I just want you to use it God And some of us aren't going to get to meet the children whose lives are going to be affected by the renovation of our children's ministry. How cool is that? And they're not going to be able to walk up to you and say thank you for what you did in 2014 when you gave your contribution. What an awesome blessing we get to have. You see, they changed the world in the first, second, and third century by their generosity and their compassion. I'm saying, let's do it again. Why couldn't we do it again? If we will make it our, 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 our foundational principle, not our ideology, not in our organization, but on the founding principles that changed the world in the first and second and third century that overthrew the Roman Empire, compassion and generosity. You know, when I was thinking about this lesson, I thought, you know, we got a ways to go in our generosity. We, Laura and I, We've got to find ways that we can give more. We've got to figure out a way that we can be thrifty. You know, and, and I want to encourage you to do the same. How can we give more? How can we invest more in kingdom of God stock? Because what he does with it is amazing. So I'd like you to join me in a prayer, and after I pray, we're going to let the children in from the cafeteria. Could uh, one of you guys, Paul, could you maybe open the door and let them... Come on in. And we're going to play some music and we're going to have people uh, file through. And we're going to lay our offering to the mission contribution here in the treasure chest. And also your weekly contribution. You can drop it in there also. Okay? So let's pray. And I really want to encourage you. Let's focus on this prayer because we want to pray that every cent that we give today 
God will use it in an amazing, amazing way. Pray with me if you would. Let's bow our heads. Our Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for the investment that we get to make in your kingdom. Father, I pray that you will bless this contribution abundantly. I pray that today you will send down a gift, an abundant gift that only you could provide so that our children can have a faith and a following of Jesus of their own. Father, we pray for the money that we're going to collect for Mexico and Central America, that you'll multiply it and that you'll use it. Father, to continue to, 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 to grow and thrive the next generation. We pray for our Latin ministry. We pray for our children's ministry. We pray for our teen ministry. We pray for our, our, our singles ministry, our campus ministry, and our family life ministry. Father, please, we ask you to bless what we give today. Use it to help many people. And I pray for our guests that are here today, God, that you will touch their hearts to see how important what they do and how they live is on their future and their future families. Father, we love you. Thank you that we can give back. And we do pray, Father, that we can do it again as they did it in the second century and turn the world upside down because of our generosity and our compassion. Thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.